Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Now, you might be wondering, where's the music? Well, uh, about once a year, I like to do an episode that has virtually no editing, and you're listening to that episode. Why do I like to do such a crazy thing? Well, I'm going to get a little bit into that uh, at the beginning of this episode, but the main reason is because I feel as though the editing is an easy thing to hide behind, and I like to kind of check in with the audience in a authentic, uncovered, unraveled, untethered way, uh, just because I feel like it resets the whole show and it resets our connection. So that's what this episode is. So it's going to be chill episode. Um, uh, I'm drinking coffee, but I'm not going to slurp into the microphone, okay? Um <clears throat> This episode is a Ask Dr. Pizza episode, which just means that I'm going to answer your questions that you send in via Instagram and email. If you have questions, I can put them in the stack of questions if you email hi at andyjpizza.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram, but I, I can't promise that I will see it. Um... Is this weird? <laughs> Is it weird? No. No editing. No music. Makes me uncomfortable. But I just... Uh, I'll get into it. All right. First question. It says, How do you get momentum and sustain that momentum in your creative career? I tend to experience small booms followed by months of nothing when it comes to freelance. Um, I think this is a great question because I think every creative person knows that this is true, that you have these experiences of intense, exciting breakthrough and attention and jobs, and then you can go a long time with nothing and it's just quiet. And if you've ever experienced those quiet periods, you know how uncomfortable it is and how how miserable it can make you and how in your head you can get and how panicked you can get. Um, And so there's this question of how do you get sustainable momentum that never breaks? How do you get this constant action in your creative career? And I'm going to reject the premise on this one because I don't think that should be the goal. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do an episode with no editing is I believe that the universe has a rhythm. It is a birth and death rhythm. It is an inhale an exhale rhythm and that there is a part of this rhythm this you know the winter gives way to the summer and the summer gives way to the winter 
and that rhythm is just good. It's just positive. It's something that's necessary. And I think that it's maybe American, this thing of just never let up on the gas pedal. It's like SpongeBob learning to drive. Uh, it's one of my favorite SpongeBob episodes with, uh, what's her name? Mrs. I want to say Mrs. Potts, but I don't know why, why is her name Mrs. Potts. That doesn't seem right. She's a puffer fish and, uh, they get in the car and, uh, he, she says, okay, tur- uh, t- something like touch the gas. This is the, the story's terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, she's like basically tells him to start going really slow. And he says, floor it. No, SpongeBob, don't floor it. Floor it. No, don't floor it. Floor it. Okay, floor it. Um, and there's just this, there's the American way is to floor it. Brute force. There's a mountain. We'll bust through it with dynamite instead of be dictated by it. You know, you go in England, uh, you go in England like it's Disney World. You, If you visit England, you'll notice like the distance between you and something might be five miles. It might take you 25 minutes to drive there because the roads are dictated by the land. So they don't just go straight shot there. You have to like go through the mountains and over the woods to grandmother's house you go when you're in England. And I think that this whole vibe of how do I just keep momentum at any cost is a very, it's very blowing up mountains kind of approach. And I think that it destroys the nature of reality. So for me personally, the reason I started with this question is I had a major breakthrough on this forefront recently. I realized my, my in-laws from England, they're British. I lived there for five years. If, if you're new to the show, if you're new to the show, I'm doing a video. I'm doing a voice for you. Um, <laughs> really regretting this non-editing thing. <laughs> Hold on. And uh, they came over. They come over for about two weeks every year. Sometimes they come over twice. Sometimes we go there every three years. About we go there for the month of June and. Uh, very privileged to be able to to do that with our work situation and what have you. Um, but when, you know, the one thing that the British people know is holiday. They know how to holiday. And that, what does that mean? That's what they call their vacation. And, you know, if you work, when I, I worked at Subway when I was there, if you work full time at Subway, you get like five weeks vacation, something like that, paid vacation. Um, and that's that's going around the mountains, baby. That's, that's, you know, that's going with our nature. Like we need breaks. We need rest. We need non-momentum. We need stagnation and, and staying put for a minute. Reminds me of, you know, uh, I was talking to my friend Omar from These Are Things, uh, they make enamel pens and all kinds of really cool manufactured pr- products. And I was talking to him about it, and he, he said it reminds him of pulsing, the pulsing feature on a blender. He said if you want to get the right consistency of your food, you don't want it to just be pulverized into a liquid, that you need to use the pulse feature, which is this choppy, 
really intense blending and then nothing. Really intense blending and then nothing. And then that's how you get this ideal state of food. And I feel like this constant obsession with nonstop momentum is how you liquefy yourself. You liquefy your creativity until it's just this irreversible pulverized pulp. And then we get into that burnt out stage. I'm mixing burning out pulpy metaphors, but you get it. It feels right, right? You've, we've all felt, you felt your creativity in a pulverized pulp that feels irreversible when you're totally burnt out. If you're not doing that pulsing. And uh, anyway, my the, <clears throat> the breakthrough that I had was I realized now I'm I get I hype things you know sometimes I call uh, like when I put sriracha with hummus for the first time I call that a major life breakthrough so I can't overhype things from time to time I don't think this is me overhyping I noticed that while they were here this time over Halloween <clears throat> that you know five of my biggest creative breakthroughs things that have led to published books, things that have led to uh, things going viral online that, that changed my career. Like th big, big creative moments happened while I was on vacation with my in-laws. Now, it might be the magic of the Brits. Maybe they've got some unicorn magic that we don't have. That's possible. The truth is, though, is that I think it happens in those seasons where momentum is stopped in its tracks and this obsession with production is put off for a second. And there's this releasing of the blend and there's a pulse, there's a stopping, there's a letting go. And in that season, in that moment, something happens that couldn't happen if you're just being pulverized into a pulp. And so, you know, my first reaction to this was not the pulsing idea. It was, man, I got to just chill out all the time, brother. Like, I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that is a common idea in creativity, that it's all the let go. In fact, I'd done an episode, um, I think earlier this year about how creativity in my mind is is like a slingshot. And if I said, what's what what's a slingshot all about? What's the main thing? What's the main moment of a slingshot where it all happens? You'd say the letting go. You it's the letting go of the slingshot that flings the rock into the air. But the truth is is that it's not a one thing. It's not a black and white. It's either about this or it's about that. It's either about the intensity or it's the letting go. Uh, it's about the narrative. It's about the story of the slingshot. It's the pulling back, creating the tension that makes the let go that much more powerful. That's what a slingshot's all about. And the same goes for your creativity. It's not all about letting go. It's not just the stopping of momentum and keeping it chill, man, that gives you the good creativity. It's, for me, I think it's the intense moments of serious tension and pushing and striving and blending and chopping and brute force contrasted by those 
punctuations of letting go, of stopping the momentum. And so for me personally, what that's looked like is I want to create pendulum swings that are quicker, that are more frequent, that are more part of my routine. Instead of two weeks a year, what does it look like to take six four-day weekends a year? Plus two weeks a year. I'm going towards that British holiday because I do think they're onto something there. Um, but but that's what I, now I understand that maybe I'm hijacking your question slightly because you're just asking, how do I make it so that I can feed pe- you know myself and and possibly uh, dependents without it being like you know a job every six months? I get it, but I think it just it it sparked something in me that was so huge that I wanted to share with you, and I think it's also just good to realize that it's never going to be constant momentum in the times of my life where it had been. You know, there was a time in my life in 2015 where I was hustling like a freaking maniac, taking on every single job, and I didn't have a second to create that pulse, and I was pulverized. And you don't want that. There's, it, I've seen too many people that don't come back from that. I like to think about burnout like you're... Uh, talked about this analogy on the podcast a few times. I feel like it really captures uh, the danger of extreme burnout is where your pilot light goes off. You know, it burns out like in your furnace. And if your pilot light goes off and it's just releasing gas that's not burnt into your house over time for too long, it can create a situation where just the tiniest thing can create an explosion. And you don't want to live in that place as a creative person. So I hope that helps. That's my first question. All right. Question number two. Uh, this comes from a friend of mine named Brent Galloway. He's in the uh, t-shirt, merch, band, merch, design space. He's a prominent figure in that in that space. Uh, lives in my current city of Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he sent this question that I thought was fantastic. He said, well, I thought it was fantastic, but it also got me real salty. Now, uh, every once in the pod, every once in a while on the podcast, I like to get angry because I believe it, it's, uh, it leads to some deeper things. It means something's going on there. And this question made me angry, not for Brent, but for the people in the world that are stopping him from doing his best work. And uh, this is this is what he said. He said, a few years ago, when I had more spare time and wasn't getting much client work, I used to upload videos to YouTube about freelancing and design. I grew up, I grew my channel to over 17,000 subscribers, which is a lot. Uh, sadly, I haven't uploaded in over a year. My go-to excuse is, I'm just too busy with client work. He did like, uh, he, he kind of quoted himself there. That's why I did a voice. Um, Really, I'm insecure about putting myself out there again, especially now that I've grown a lot within my niche or designing mer- for designing merch in the music industry. No one in, in my industry or any people I look up to make YouTube videos. Put a pin in that little sentence that he said. No one in my industry or any of the people I look up to make YouTube videos. Highlight that in your mind. When you say to yourself, no, but nobody does that in my industry, highlight that. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that. And... Uh, I don't want to fall into that category of, and this is in quotes, those who can't do teach. 
especially when I don't want to necessarily teach. Uh, okay, I'm there, there's more here, but I just want to stop. I want to stop there and talk and speak to that. First thing I want to say, let's go back to this idea of no one in my industry does that. So from time to time, I will run into somebody who I'm either working with or, or just giving a pep talk to about their creativity and that and and they'll talk about something they want to do or I'll suggest something I think they should do and they feel like they can't do it because people in their industry just don't do stuff like that and as soon as they say that I think yes exactly the whole freaking point of being an artist is doing things that other people don't do I've said it a billion times on the show, but I'll say it a billion more. What do you call an artist that doesn't want to stick out? And I would say, I don't know, but you don't call them an artist. Because being an artist is about sticking out. Is that we so badly want to stick out and we're also so petrified to stick out. When I created this podcast, a career podcast... There was no one in my little neck of the woods, design and illustration is kind of where I had established myself. There was nobody in that world doing a career podcast, doing a business podcast. And it literally petrified me. I thought, if I do this, I'm going to be the most uncool weirdo that is just, you know, is going to be ostracized. And it just broke through so much noise because I was doing something different. It reminds me of when I was in uh, high school. My brother was a senior and I was a freshman, my older brother, and he was kind of a troublemaker. Uh, (laughs) No, he wasn't kind of. He was a major troublemaker. And uh, we would be at the school assembly and everyone would be screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was just this huge, you know, this cacophony of 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 loud ah, but it's just you know it all just blends into one this giant white noise of everyone's going yeah and so it just kind of all blends together and through that hundreds of people i could always pick out my brother and it wasn't because i knew his voice because if he was saying ah, i would have not been able to pick out his voice but why i could always hear my brother is that he chose to not say, ah, but to say, I, 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 <laughs> really loud in this very different sound cut through the noise. And you have to be unafraid to do what your heroes wouldn't. It's the moment when you become who you're meant to be as a creative person. You have to disobey your heroes. So when you hear yourself say, but nobody does that in my industry, alarms should go off. I want you to set your, calibrate your metal detector to that. When you hear yourself say that, I want it to go, huge opportunity. This is the exact road that I need to go down. If it's something you feel in your gut that you want to do that's authentic to you and nobody's doing it, boom, baby, you just found a door to serious opportunity. So that's the first thing I want to say. Then I want to address the other thing, the other elephant in the room, if you will. Give me one second. I'm going to drink a little more coffee because I'm clearly not amped up enough. (laughs) Uh, Okay. 
this idea of those who can't do teach. Hmm. Now, I don't take any offense from this from Brent Galloway because he put it in quotes and he's not. Uh, so he's quoting other people because it is a common thing. You know, it makes me think of Jack Black on School of Rock. Uh, those who can't do teach and those who can't teach teach Jim. Am I right? When he's playing, you know, teacher and he's getting into the groove. Love that movie. Um, anyway, those who can't do teach. I hate this sentiment with all of my being. And it's not because it hits upon something true for me. It's because I think it is so detrimental to the growth and thriving of creative people. And I want us to burn it at the stake, this myth right now. I'm going to do something that I don't do on this show very often. And I'm going to straight up tell you why I should be making this podcast. I'm going to brag. And there's a reason for it. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to know something. I don't know if you know this. Before I ever had a creative pep talk podcast, before I was ever teaching this stuff on a podcast, I had established myself as an illustrator. I had a middle-class income on illustration. I bought a house off the strength of my illustration. I worked with Google, Smart Car, Converse, Bloomberg, Fast Company, Starburst, Nickelodeon, The Economist, Wired, Real Simple, Nylon Magazine, and more and more and more. Before, I'm getting a bunch of noises coming into my computer. <laughs> Before, I told you no editing. Just me and you. Just We're just hanging out. Uh, before I'd ever had a podcast and that that's a condensed version of my uh, of my client list now I'd also published three books before I ever had a podcast before I ever taught and I tell you that because although I'm not, I had plenty of things to learn. I had plenty. My, my career has grown a lot since then. Uh, had a lot of big breakthroughs and a lot of big breakthroughs because of the podcast. Um, before I did any of that, I had done before I taught. And I actually think that's a pretty good thing. I think that before you position yourself as an expert, maybe you should be an expert. I don't know. It's going out, going out on a limb here. Um, but one of the reasons why it drives me freaking crazy, this concept of those who can't do teach, is because it stops some of the best practitioners from teaching. I know, I have at least one person in my mind, but I know multiple, that started down this road of being a public uh, figure and teacher that dramatically helped me, that unlocked things in my creative career, that just totally changed the game for me. And at that time, I noticed some people within the industry start chiming in with, does this person even make anything anymore? And then slowly but surely, 
that person quit teaching, quit sharing their ideas, put their head down and just made stuff, didn't want to stick their head up above the crowd. And I don't know for sure, but I feel like they got in that person's head. And because of that, I don't get the benefit of those breakthroughs anymore. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart for all future students, all the people that can't afford, by the way, to go to art school. And in, and I this sentiment that strikes fear in the heart of the best practitioners of getting labeled a teacher. And first of all, a teacher being a derogatory term, another just horrifying thing to me about the future of uh, the next group of students or the next group of teachers. And I love this phrase by Debbie Millman on her podcast, Design Matters. She said, we can, uh, so we can talk about making the world a better place. We can make a better place, make the world a better place, or we can do both. We can talk about design, we can design, or we can do both. And there, you know, I am so angry about black and white thinking because that's not the world. Have you seen the world? It is technicolor, baby. The shades, the contrast, the hues, it's so vibrant. And there isn't just doers and teachers. There is a wide spectrum of things in between. Please, practitioners, embrace teaching. And then I want to speak to an exception real quick. Well, well, first, hold on. The other reason it drives me absolutely freaking insane that we have this false dichotomy of doers and teachers is because teaching makes you a better doer. My illustration dramatically uh, uh, improved because of this podcast, because of talking about creativity. I became better at creativity. And so if we get afraid of being labeled a teacher and we go in our silos and we keep our head down, just make the work, don't talk about it, like we are going to be worse. Our students or our non-people who could, our potential students are going to be worse. And I'm burning this freaking myth at the stake today. On top of all that, let me just say uh, that... uh, You don't have to be an expert to teach, okay? I know I said that, but I'm just saying that um, before you position yourself as an expert, this is what I actually said. Again, down to the nuance. I love a little, I love a good slice of nuance. It's just delicious on the palate. Something that's not black and white, not binary. I love just, mm, just a flavor. It's complex. It's not just a simple soundbite. I said, yes, you should be an expert before you position yourself as an expert. But I did not say that you should be an expert before you start teaching or before you start sharing your journey. You know, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, say what you want with him. He's a, he's a polarizing cat. Uh, he's not an actual cat. The way I said that did not sound like, <laughs> did not sound like uh, it was a phrase or a term of endearment or you know uh, slang. It just sounded like I was saying he's an actual cat. Gary V. He's a polarizing cat. People. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm cutting it. If the, I'd put it on the cutting room floor if I was editing it, but I, I'm not. So you're gonna have to deal with it. Um. <laughs> all right. This cat. This online cat persona. Gary V. He talks about 
how just because you're not an expert should not stop you from sharing your experience online, telling your story online in real time is the name of the game in 2019. And I'm sure 2020 will be the same. And if you want to gain traction, you need to do that. And you don't need to wait until you're an expert to do that. And he says, instead of thinking about creating content, just think about documenting content, documenting your life, documenting your journey. And it does grind my gears a little bit. And this isn't a call out or anything, but it it grinds my gears. I think it's just inauthentic when people, you know, position themselves as experts when they're not. And they start telling people, this is how you have a thriving creative career when they don't have anything close to a thriving creative career and they're trying to get it by sharing how to have it and that's a weird you know it's not helping anybody right but it doesn't mean that you couldn't get started saying hey I don't have a thriving creative career but I'd like to get one and this thing that I'm making is a document of that journey I think that's completely and utterly valid um and so, uh, you know, get sharing, get teaching, get, you know, you can, the second you learn something, you can turn around and teach someone else it. When I started my creative career, the first like illustration, proper illustration job that I got, I did a, an illustration for Sony PSP in the Europe, European market. And I was just instantly like calling my friends, like, this is how I did it. This is how I did, like, you got to figure this, you got to see this. Because I, I have a teacher's spirit, uh, but I, I also, I think there's so much great stuff and that can be done by being both a practitioner and a teacher. And I love that Venn diagram. And that is why this whole sentiment of those who can't do teach, shut up. <laughs> I've had enough of it. Don't say it again. I'm sick of it and it's hurting people. And uh, damn it, Brent Galloway, don't ever say that to me again. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, That's me, fired up, telling you, don't let them get in your head. And don't be afraid to do what they wouldn't. There is so much garbage. Beyond this question, if this isn't something you struggle with, I want you to just chew on this for a minute. What things, what phrases, what cliches, what myths have got in your head? This might be the day. This might be the time. If you're looking for a sign, it's now. You need to do a self-audit. Think about what are the things that I've believed that are hurting me, that are hurting other people, that may have some truth to them. You know, I grew up reading C.S. Lewis, uh, and he talks about how rarely is a is is evil its own thing it's almost always a perversion of something true and i every myth is built on the foundation of some slight truth it's taking a truth and perverting it and it's that i think the truth of those who can't do teach i think there's a perversion of uh the fact of like those who, you know, these these people that position themselves as experts when they're not, right? Like, that's true. Like, that isn't a great thing. We all can agree on that. But I think we can all agree that the world would be better if those who do did teach. And they would actually do better if they did. 
but that's not the only thing. I want you to use this as a, uh, a starting block, as a springboard to ask yourself some tough questions. What are the general industry accepted rules that are holding you back? And how are you gonna disobey your heroes to have your big breakthrough? There are so, so much of the biggest moments in my creative career are directly on the back of noticing, oh, I'm buying into this thing. I was sold a bill of goods. It's a total crock of crap. And I'm gonna call their bluff and I'm gonna burn it at the stake. Maybe you need to get weird about it and write it down on a scrap piece of paper and hold a bonfire, some kind of ceremony. Burn your lies, burn these sacred cows, call their crap and break through. I guarantee you right now, they're in your head. They're in my head. I'm constantly having to unravel those yarns of twisted garbage. <laughs> All right, back to the show. <clears throat> a few more questions and we'll get you out of here. Okay. Let's talk about creative multiple personalities. So I have a question came through on Instagram and it says, I'm struggling with feeling like I have multiple artistic personalities. Help! Uh, okay. So I think... We've probably all experienced this, this idea of like, um, when we look at our heroes, they look to have, I'm pouring some coffee here, uh, just so you know what that noise is. <laughs> um, we look at them and they just look so concise. They look so put together. They look, they, their voice just seems so singular and, uh, and ours just looks like a freaking mess. Um. <laughs> uh, anyway <clears throat> we're very aware of how our own sausage is made if you will where their sausage just looks like consistent little links but the truth is in the in the casing of the sausage <laughs> so gross uh, there's a pulsed chopped up conglomeration of various seasons and explorations and the multitudes in which they contain. So first of all, I just want to, uh, you know, say as consistent as your heroes seem to be, I can guarantee that it, their work is an amalgamation of experience, DNA, experiments, and, uh, you know, uh, influences. And the more stuff you make over time, the more consistent that you're going to get. That's part of it. There's going to be a thread of a, a foundation that kind of runs through there. So part of it is it, it happens over time. Then I think there's a few other things going on here. Uh, I'll, I'll speak to two other things that could be happening if you're feeling like you have multiple personalities in your art. <clears throat> One is, you know, I'm down for this whole idea of like, I was just talking to Joey Ellis last week about how, you know, this idea, he was saying, you know, you should be the same person when you're talking to your kids as you are when you're talking to your spouse, as you're talking to your audience, as you're, you know, whatever. You you should have the integrity that you're not just a chameleon. And I think, uh, again, the nuance here is important because I do think that's completely true. 
you shouldn't be telling your kids one thing and then doing the exact opposite, right? Like I, I'm down for that. I think that's exactly what Joey was saying. But at the same time, acting exactly the same, speaking in the same tone is unrealistic. To me, that sounds like, you know, these people that think that, uh, you know, there should only exist G-rated movies, that all movies, if, if they were pure movies, all movies would be okay for kids. And that's just not true. There's a bunch of things in our multitudes of our universes, uh, in the multiverses that, that just aren't, it's not all relevant stuff for kids. And, and what I mean by this is, yeah, maybe... Uh, the foundation of you should always remain the same. What's under what you're doing should be a consistent core value-based foundation. But when you're speaking to your mom, when you're speaking to your spouse, when you're speaking to your mates down at the pub, when you're speaking to your dog, when you're speaking to your kids, when you're speaking to your doctor, it's okay if your voice changes a little bit. When I talk to my dogs, who I love dearly, over the past couple of years, I've somehow converted to a dog person. Like, not just, I've always kind of liked dogs, but now I'm a dog person. It gets weird around my dogs. When I see my dogs, I just, oh, you're a little doggy doozy. <laughs> and I, I get very, that's an accurate portrayal. I'm getting excited. I need to go cuddle my dogs. Um, I love my dogs. Anyway, when I talk to my dogs, that's how I talk. And I think it's good. I think it's wholesome. I think it's true. I think it's beautiful the way that I talk to my dogs. And I don't talk to my uh, mom the way I talk to my dogs. <laughs> and the same goes for when I'm making uh, a t-shirt for one of my favorite bands. Why? The people who do the theme music to this show... I talk a little bit different in my work than when I'm making a kid's book. And I think that's good. I think that's fine. And I think you need that nuance. And I think your your voice should have a deep grounding of why you're doing it that goes beyond the cheaper veneer of how, the style. You know, for me, I think if you get in touch with what is your work all about, for me, I want to talk about this in a little bit. For me, my work is about uh, mostly spirituality. You know, I... I use that term, I hope to kind of re-imbue this term with new, fresh colors and, and use it as a container to talk about everything that we can't see, everything beyond our five senses, I will call spirituality. That's the good stuff. There's some kind of, I think we have a sixth sense that somehow tunes into this stuff that's beyond our senses. We, and we brush up against it with things like synchronicity or or mystical experience or, or what have you, or coincidence, all these things where we're like, wait a second, that's what I want my... Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I, I think, what's, what's the baseline, as Rob Bell would say, what's the baseline of your creative stuff? That, there needs to be some steady drum, some... some some why, why is this baseline a drum now? But you need some steady pulsing. There's a lot of pulsing in this episode. Throughout your work, there needs to be that that consistency, and that's going to happen over time. It's just going to develop a heartbeat. But the flesh that you put on top of that heart, it's different depending on who you're talking about, what you're talking about, what your purpose is, what your end goal is, what the brief is. That's okay. And then on top of that, 
whenever I hear somebody say that they have these rival voices or these rival threads in their work that are just uh, completely different, I have the alarm bells go off in my brain. Same thing that always happens when this happens is I think, stop your tracks. Just like when uh, you have that thing where you say, nobody in my industry is doing this and you should stop everything you're doing and do that thing. The same goes for any time you feel like you have two things that are completely different and you're trying to hold them in tension. I say, stop what you're doing. You're right at the, the crossroads of creativity because it's combinatorial creativity. It's combining two things that don't seem to go together. And that messy work of trying to somehow match this beat with that random, you know, this guitar part that the two different genres, somehow you figure out the pattern of the meeting place or you force that connection to happen. That messy forcing of things, that's creativity right there. And I, you know, one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, I like, I like, uh, I like to analyze art that's not just relevant in the moment, but things that have some staying power for me personally. And I try to be non-judgmental about it. There's a song by a band called Muse, and it's called Madness, and it's a pop rock song, really, and. Really love that song. I'm not even a Muse fan. I just love that song so much. It's very in my spiritual wheelhouse of feelings. It's very uplifting. I like a. I love uplifting things. That's why I make it. That's why I make that stuff. Um, but I love the song Madness. And it came on the radio the other day, and my wife and I were musing about this. <laughs> I did that on accident. I swear to you, musing about this Muse song and we realized that it sounds very much like a straight collage of Queen and U2. It is just a freaking Queen U2 mashup. And on the surface, there is nothing in common between Queen and U2. They have so many dramatic differences stylistically. They are multiple personalities, if you will. But the birth of a new thing, the creation of a new thing, means that the middle overlap of a Venn diagram is born the second Muse made that song. All of a sudden, they do have something in common. It's called madness. And I feel like sometimes we overcomplicate creativity and I feel like sometimes the purest thing is just to be like, what would it sound like if you two and Queen made a song together? And I hope that's a springboard. I hope you allow yourself the grace and the, and the, um, the exploration and the fun and the play of just doing some stylistic mashups of just saying, what if these two paths crossed? And so if you're feeling inconsistent, what I would say is, first of all, give yourself permission to develop that baseline over time, to develop that heartbeat over time. 
give yourself permission to speak in different voices when you're speaking to your little doggies and when you're speaking to your doctor. Mm, yes, I will. I will eat. I will eat more carrots and less potatoes. What, have, give yourself permission to speak in some different voices and give yourself permission to play and just smash some crap together. Probably, you know, there's a, you could say, what would it sound like if the Beatles made a Goo Goo Dolls song? Probably terrible, but maybe not. I'd listen to it. Let's try it. I don't know. My favorite, one of my favorite bands, 1975, did a song that's very Goo Goo Dolls-ish. They had, it's called, uh, I Always Want to Die Sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's good. I liked it. It had the same person who construct, who, uh, scored the strings as the person who did the strings on the iris Goo Goo Dolls. And I, I'm not a, really a fan of Goo Goo Dolls, but that song had a had a moment. Is that what you listen to this podcast for? My take on hot takes on Goo Goo Doll songs. <laughs> Look, we edit most episodes. Um, let's go on to uh, the next question. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. I've got two questions that I'm gonna. Th- I got to, to work between. Uh, let's do. Let's do this one real fast. Finding a side quest as a writer in hopes of getting published in children's books. So you're saying if if I'm just a writer, I'm not an illustrator. Uh, how do I? create a side project, a strategic side project, a.k.a. a side quest in my book to get published. Here's what I would do if I were you. And this is similar to what I did as an illustrator. Uh, A, believe in the idea. Pick an idea that you don't need validation on. This is huge. This is something I've been thinking about lately. Often when I feel like we're trying to rush the idea phase and we're trying to skip to our final boss, skip to the reward for our creativity instead of dive deep into the creativity and enjoy the creativity. Last week we had Joey Ellis. He was talking about his conversation with kids book legend, Bob Shea. Uh, And Bob Shea told him like, if you, you know, if you're frustrated with the sales, if you're frustrated with the launch of the book, if you're frustrated with, you know, the reward, realize that was never what it was. If you don't like the part where you're knee deep in creating the art for the book and writing the book, if you don't, if you're not just like having a blast on that stuff, you need to go find something else to do because that's the thing. And I think, you know, so often we want to skip to getting published that we, and we're so scared. That's really what it is. It's not even that we wouldn't enjoy the practice of making the creative work if we just allow ourselves to enjoy it for a minute. Uh, But we're so afraid that our idea is not going to be good enough. We're so afraid the vulnerability of sitting in creativity. It's so scary. It's this fixed mindset of you want to dive, you want to scuba dive, dive down to the bottom of that pool and grab that little weighted rocket and burst back to the top because we're afraid we're going to drown down there. We're afraid we're not going to come up. We're going to come up short with nothing. 
And so we do that idea. We fast forward that idea phase. I got an idea. Is this an idea, right? Okay, I got an idea. And then you just walk around and tell every friend that you've ever known about the idea just to be like, this is an idea, right? It's an idea. And they're like, yeah, it's an idea. I mean, it's okay, I guess. And whenever I'm feeling like that, I almost always know that I've either half-baked that idea or I don't really have an idea. And that's the reason I need validation on it. More times than not, when I have a really good idea, I don't even really feel the need to tell people about it. Because, you know, I like this idea. I've been talking to my buddy Kyle Sheely. He's kind of developing some language around why he does what he does. He's a public speaker and he, he creates huge things out of cardboard. And he was talking about how he's really a doer of ideas. He has crazy ideas. And the thing that's different about him is he just does those crazy ideas. He had an idea for, uh, you know, publishing a more full version of 50 Shades of Grey. It's called 99 Shades of Grey. And it was just a book that they kickstarted that was just pages of 99 different shades of gray, just no words um, and just stuff like that. He does it. He has those crazy ideas and then he just does them. And that's, that's what, that's his thing. He, he does that. So, um, you know, I feel like we, we talked about how having ideas and telling people about them instead of doing them is telling stories that you never did. And it's just boring. <laughs> There's that. It's really boring to be like, to, to go around telling people stories uh, about yourself that you've never done. And it's so much more compelling and interesting to tell people stories of things that you've actually done. And that's the power of having an idea that you're so excited about that you don't want to, you don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much because That's not the full expression of the idea. They're not going to get an idea of what the idea's real potential is if you don't take it to its fruition, if you don't write the thing and get the thing illustrated or get some, you know, meat on that bone before you let them taste it. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, if you let them just taste the stock instead of tasting the soup, they're not going to be like, mmm, delicious, right? Like they don't see what you can see. 